I have got no fucking idea where I did that, but I got it. I pressed the lower buttons and it worked. Do you know what I mean? Just like, how did you actually find that? You got no idea. Yeah, well, I think I do. Yeah, I went into the, th I went across to the, on the, when it says live video on my PC, it had status and I went into there and that's where I found the live video. So, right. Okay. Now I'm going to try, I'm going to, I'm going to try and see if I can get this up now. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody tech! Rubbish. <laughs> I think I've got it now. I've got it. Yeah, I got it. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> Bastard. It's. Have I got it the right? I've even got it the right way around. Jesus Christ! I'm amazing myself this morning. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. It was. Um, I really needed a bit of a drink now. It was alcohol fry, but we need to move on to wine very fast. God, I'm 17 minutes late. The crowd should be booing. I should be hearing all your boos from there. <laughs> Boo a bastard! bastard. Uh, I need to get my stand. I need to get a couple other things for Sweetie. Got it, darling. What happened was that basically the Facebook page is updated and it updated on the PC and I checked it all out today and I was a proper tech and like, and I checked the whole damn thing out and it was all working and then I put my phone on and suddenly hey, there's something wrong with the phone and I couldn't find it and I couldn't understand, I couldn't na navigate. Right, I'm going to put this up now because I want to get... Oh, boys. There we go. Uh, get it. Where is it? Oh. Boom, booty, boom, booty, boom, booty, boom, booty, boom, booty, boom, booty, boom, boom, boom. Hello, and evening, and welcome. To another fishing Friday. Here we go, right? Wow, there's a big, big queue up there. It's a big queue. So where we go? Alistair Adams, yes. Steve Waldron, Roger Morgan, <laughs> Daniel Wyman, Snowy New York City. We got the note New York. Rob Palmer, Sean Mitchell, uh, Michael Simmons. Ta-da! <laughs> when your dealers didn't turn up in time, yeah. Tom Bombadil for five, Shaylin, Karen L. Spanchberg, Paul Embrace, Paul Shidens from Antwerp. Uh, it was just, oh, it was just crazy today. It's just, I thought I'd, I'd everything under control. I got it all lined up. I had to find the two songs, which uh, Poets Moon won, won by a landslide. Um, and um, the second one was Jack and Jill. And I went, Poets Moon, no problem. Went up looking for it. Could I find it? Could I buggery? And it was like, and I had the torch out because it was like way, the, it's at the top shelves of the CDs and, you know, and eventually found Poets Moon. But it's, it's terrible because I keep on giving away all my albums. It's like, um, you know, I remember when, when Kayleigh came out and I was living in Albert Street in Aylesbury and people come and go, oh, Kayleigh, and you go, yeah, yeah, I've got a box of them here. Yeah, then you didn't have a box. And it was a, I lost a load of stuff and like things that I should have kept. Now I'm a lot better at it. 
Uh, in the last five years or so, I've, I've been a little better at keeping things back, you know. Chris Harris, you're sorry, that's the main thing, and you're even the right way around. Now you can read my book collection. Did you notice that John Snow on Channel 4 has got a Pink Floyd book right behind his head? And it was one night I was watching it, and I thought I was seeing things, right? And I'm going like, wait a minute. It's like, move your head, John. Move your head. Move your head. And then it was Pink Floyd's spine. Ben Dog Carlson from Denmark. Uh, Siobhan Freeburn, hi Darren, Bernard France, David McMacroy, Simon Jacks from Sheffield, John Watson, Calendar, Canada Donahoe, yeah, yeah, glad I got sorted too. Simon Brignall, God, oh, man, 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 it's just crazy. But, it's, um, but yeah, it was, oh, Stephen Domb Dombrowski, Dombrowski from Baden Württemberg, fishing for a Friday shirt arrived, thank you. That script thing was mental, wasn't it? <laughs> I went down the container right, and I thought, how many have we got? And I, I wasn't very sure. And I'd, I'd been kind of whittling away and I thought, I better check the number. And I went, oh, there's only 70 left. So I said to someone, I said, I'll just put something up and just say we've only got 70 left. An hour, an hour, right? And people are going like, you know, I didn't, didn't get it. You know, it's like, you know, I missed it. And it's like, what's going on? It's been on sale since last March. And it was like, you know, um, so I'm sorry for those of you who never got it, but I mean, uh, like I said, I mean, they went out the door so fast and I was sitting at the dining room table the other day, right? And I went to, you open up the cardboard and da-da-da, take the sellotape off and then take the bit of, and then sign the thing, put it all back together again and then Simona, you know, does her thing. So I was a little working elf this week, right? And um, one, of, one of them's got blood in it. It's got a tiny bit of blood because I cut myself in the container. Got one of them nasty paper cuts. So there's a bit of blood in it. So, like, you know, it's a little present that goes with a special script album. Whoever's got it somewhere in the world, I didn't check. So you got a little tiny wee bit of blood. You know, you get the DNA, make a, make your own fish. <laughs> like Dolly the sheep, right? Derek the fish, right? <laughs> yeah. Michael Gusser, hello. Robin Elliott, yeah. Finally, Poets Moon, brilliant. Hugh McDermott got the story, did the research. It's one of the things I actually enjoyed today because this week's been kind of, it's been kind of, you know what it is. It's, it's just been, there was a couple of days. I just couldn't get myself motivated at all. I mean, doing the scripts was great because it was just, I didn't have to think, right? And I could just go through it all. Actually, somebody complained. <laughs> someone had got a, someone had got a, a complaint um, no names no patrol um, I don't actually remember who it was but she just mentioned that somebody complained because uh, they'd got a script for Jester to the Luxe set and it had already been opened right and uh, and someone's going like oh, yeah. how could it be opened and it was um, it was the, the, the cellophane wrapper she was she, um, he she was kind of worried about that it wasn't you because the 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 clean film had become off, and then she realised that I'd had to take it off to sign it. <laughs> She'd love the signature. Better. Uh, uh. Carol Lawrence Olson. I was tempted to suggest that you play the version of Poets Moon from the Sushi Live album, but decided that it would be asking a bit much of you. No, I've just got the normal one. You know. Steinar Hovi in the car from Finland. Ewa Kapicha, Poland. Arthur Gill, big bone. Um, Chris Harris, John Stowe's a Floyd fan. Good man, yeah, check it out. Watch Channel 4 News. 
And when John's on, it's like the, the Pink Floyd book is behind his head, right? And every now and then the camera just shifts off to the side a little bit and then you'll see the Pink Floyd book. You watch, right? You watch, right? Uh, what? Uh, ben France, I don't... Britney's new role, Britney Spears. I don't know what that is. Uh, Paul is closed. The clone the fish. Clone the fish. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's I did a thing on. Uh, honest, it's me. It's just me, right? I did a thing the other day for uh, a Dutch website, and um, it was um, and they got in touch in the morning at eleven o'clock, and we said let's run through the tech. I said I'm, I'm glad. I'm really glad we're going to be doing a little tech run. And it's the usual shit. Go to the website, da da da, allow the camera, you know, and I, I panic. I get tense, you know, when it's decisions. It's, it's my thing, right? It's just my head. It's just the way it works. I go, fuck, 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 fuck. You know, can we dug, fuck, 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 as Andy used to say. But yeah, so it was, um, so 11 o'clock in the morning, I'm, 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 I'm up on camera and everything's working and turn the sound down and da da da. We had it all pitch, pitch perfect, right? Went in, show started, live at three o'clock, bang, no sound. <laughs> they had tech problems with this. And I, I, said, I said, I'm really sorry. I'm very sorry about that. It's my fault completely. She's like, no, no, it's us. I said, no, it's me. You don't understand. Right? Well, but I've always been shit with tech, right? The other thing, right, that I'm really, really bad with, and it really winds me up. Right? I really, in the industry that I'm in, although I've not done it for a while, right, it's rolling up wires and dealing with wires. Wires, ropes, chains, any kind of long thing that can become knotted, entangled, or anything like that, right? I hate it. And I think it's, got, it's, it's really strange because um, my mum told you that, my mum my told me that, uh, Seemingly, I nearly died when I was a kid because my umbilical cord went round my throat twice, right? And uh, I nearly choked to death, right? And it's a thing I've got. So anybody puts their hand anywhere near my throat, right? if something goes like that, I go mental, absolutely mental, right? And um, but it's it's just me and cords. I don't know what it is. It's the curse of the cord, right? And it's like I can basically take, like for example like a headphone, you know, a pair of headphones, they've got a wire on it, right? I can take that and I can turn it in a circle, right? And I can get it all nice and I can tie it around, right? See when, it, when I open my bag up, when I go to the next gig or whatever, I open it up, it's just a mass of knots. I don't know who it is. I don't know whether there's a mouse in there, right? I've got some not frenzied mouse that kind of like feels the desire to like knot and ravel anything. Chains. I, used, I mean, I used to wear chains sometimes on stage back in the old days, right? And, yeah, they, they, you know, you come off stage and they'd be like little knots. And I just, I, these hands, right? And I, But yeah, but I mean, with cables and everything, I can I can take a cable and wrap it up perfectly, right? And within, the next time I pick that cable up, it will be in a knot. And I've got to get it all, and my microphone, right? And like, the, so one thing I loved about radio microphones was the fact there was no wires. Right, but I mean, I don't know how it happens, right? But at rehearsals, right, I'll have this my, my sure microphone sit in the stand, right, and I'll take it off and I walk back and forward and back and forward, back and forward when I'm singing in rehearsals. You know, I like to to move when I'm singing. I'm a, I'm a physical singer. You know, I use my body to kind of 
push hair out and stuff both ways <laughs> and um but you know it's, it's like after after a day i come in and, and my microphone cable is like it, it's it's like a snake that's been put on a griddle you know i mean um it, it just it gets in these weird knots and i've got to spin the microphone all the way around and i don't know how it gets like that but it's just me and rope in the greenhouse the other day i went in i had to get the the, the string out for doing the onions obviously about a month ago before the snow it and i got the string out and it, it it took me an hour right i ended up cutting it with a knife and then cutting it and then knotting it together again you know it's just my thing you know so no female angling going fishing i went fishing a couple of times it was if i wasn't putting the fly in the back of my ear the hook in the back of my ear it was like, you know, spending all my time trying to go, oh, damn, trying to unravel it. Not like plastic. Kenny Tate, I hate cables. If it's a way of me getting them caught in something, anything will happen. Yep. No. Uh, horse, James Hedger, horse pipe reels. You see those things that they sell where it's like, you know, like kink free, right? You know, and it's like, you know, bendy stuff and like, you know, and it wraps up into this really little pile and then you fill it with water and it goes... And turns into a proper hose, right? I've had five of them, right? Five of them. They've seemingly they're, they're lined with uh, silicon or something like that, and uh, some rubber. I think it's the same stuff they make condoms out of, and um, and that's what lines it, and that's what means it stops it kinking, right? And it's, it's like once I left it out in the winter, right? <laughs> Left out in the winter on the ice, went minus 15 or something like that. And then first time I went out in the spring, I, go, I, went, I turned the water on, it just went... You know? and, but all the rest of them, they're all, they just blow up, you know? So I'm still trying to find a decent nose. And oh, you may or may not know this, right? But my first job in Aylesbury, when I moved down to join Marillion, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit, right? But I said, not all of it, but just a bit, right? So the first job I had was when I, when Diz and I got the flat opposite the police station, right? And we needed, like, rent money, right? And um, I got a job at Hoslock. And I worked for Hoslock. Now, how weird is this, right? I was a quality inspector at Hoslock UK Limited. And for those of you who don't know, right, Hoslock make all these garden sprinklers. And that's what I did. I checked garden sprinklers. And I was only in the job for two weeks before I was fired. Right? But it was um but what I had to do was there was a little cage, like a little perspex cage, and you took the hose lock thing, and as you know the hose lock have got the special fittings with a ching ching click click right. So hope you weren't upset with that. But what I did was I put a sprinkler onto the fitting, closed the perspex lid, and then I turned the tap on. And then I watched the the way the sprinkle went right and i made sure that they were all perfect because all those tubes they were all kind of they were pressed so that put all the holes in and you had to make sure that all the holes were right so you got an even spray and that's what i did and now uh, i did it like i said for two weeks loved it it was brilliant and uh and then i got fired because my forester right which was a question which was is on the sheet somewhere that i'll deal with my forester actually gave me one of the shittiest references. The guy that employed me, the thing was, Hoselock belonged to a company called Airtech. And Airtech was 
a government company, or at least that's the BS that he told me, right? Well, regarding the reference, right? So they're owned by Airtech, which was a British UK government kind of state thing. So everybody had to be checked to work for Hoselock UK to deal with water sprinklers, you know? Oh, sorry, son, but uh, your security clearance doesn't clear you for water sprinklers. Oh, I'm really sad, right? Anyway, I'm working in Hoselock, and they said for my references, I said, what's in up at Bowhill Estate, right? And he sent me down the references, said down the references, and I was called into the office, the manager's office, and he said, I'm really sorry, he said, but he said, um, I'm going to have to let you go on your references. I went, what? <laughs> I went, what did I do wrong? <laughs> and I knew Watson hated me. <laughs> he hated me. <laughs> but I never knew he hated me that much. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, the references were so bad. He said, I've never seen any references like this. And he said, if I'd known, you know, you're not supposed to write it. It seemed like it's illegal or something. But this is way back in 1981, right? So, I mean... I knew nothing about kind of workers' rights and shit like that. I just wanted to be a singer <laughs> and put Aussies together. But it was um, but yes, and the reference was it said like a disruptive influence amongst the workforce, right? A perpetual dreamer, right? Unable to keep a grip on reality, right? And that was what he wrote. A perpet, you know. A <laughs> Perpetual dreamer and a disruptive influence amongst the workforce. I got that because I tried to start a union at Bowhill Estate, which is another story and a half. But like you know, but that was what it was, and I got fired from Hoslock. Right, I was absolutely good because I just got the flat and we had no money, and I was going to have to sign on, and I ended up having to phone up my dad and to borrow some money off my dad to pay for the flat for the first week, and um, it was mental. But anyway, where was I? Ah, uh, Anya, Erdmannchen, Gotch from Germany, Elizabeth Jorgensen, wireless is the new thing. Uh, <laughs> Darren Greenwood, the great unravel in Better France. What's the Ah, you've fallen asleep on the keyboard. Um, Ian Graham, El Kink without a condom, you've got a medical issue right there. <laughs> it was the hose I was on about. Uh, I don't know why, but I'm actually. Yeah, Brian Angus, how did Roger Dory keep his microphone cable annoyed? He didn't, right? And if you actually watch, he's got the same thing. When you see some of the old Who shows, right, and you'll see their notes and those about microphone, as soon as you start moving about, and then, you know, ah. <laughs> Mike Kelly, where's my T-shirt that you promised me for organising your flight in an Army Air Corps? Go, oh, lost it. It slipped up the timeline. Repeat if I can catch it. Uh, Ian Patterson, mind the old telephone receiver cables used to tie themselves in or not and you couldn't get out, yep, remember that. And I've got a shower through there in the disco bog. <laughs> There's a shower to do the same thing. And I don't know what's happening. I don't know whether, whether Simona is actually disco dancing in, in, the, in the shower, right? Because every time I come through and I, I take it off, not that I'm doing my head, right? It's doing the walls, right? <laughs> and every time I come and do it, it's like, psst. And I look at it, and it's all wrapped up. And I'm convinced that she's disco dancing through there. Right. Uh, Richard Llewellyn, I can tell you the hose lock quality control has not improved since your firing. It was a tell you. It was, and even now, you know, I still, every time I see those little yellow boxes in, in the garden centres and things, I still think back to that little Perspex box and watching the spray. That was it. Mind numbing. 
Yeah. Well. Joe Dick, was that not on your report card? Yeah, it was probably my report card as well. Uh, Simon Reeves, I've got a written warning from HMV and Exeter for doing a duck walk on the counter to ACDC in 1986, just before Christmas. Some people have no sense of fun, as you said. Right. Kelly Rook, stream one fish, I always do, mate. Right. Oh. Ian Graham, my first full-time job was a, qual a quality control guy at a paint factory actually watching paint dry. Yeah, yeah jobs we have had. Security clearance for Hoslock. Yeah, it was. It was AirTech. It was. It was a government firm, and you had to have. Um, you, you, they had to lodge. You know, putting a disruptive influence amongst the workforce. You know, in your in your file. You know, if you take it out and shot at the back of the bloody factory, a bullet right through his head. Yeah, Mister Watson sadly died. I never held held anything against him. To be honest, he was like kind of. He was. He just didn't understand me. <laughs> but then again, there's a lot of people. Right. Thomas Clifton would love it, mate. But the way things are going, it's not good. It's not good. Be great to crack about the old times. Uh, once a disruptive influence, always a disruptive influence. John Smith, yes, and correct. I got this. I've actually put my computer up on a stand now because I was. I realised that my head was always like that. So. And now I think I might have put up too much and it's like that. It's like being in the cinema when you're a kid. Uh. Martin Dooley, got your Fishing Friday shirt on tonight. Good man, good man. I tell you, once we start, Rob Scarron, who, who helped me deal with the, the tech issue today, um, Rob was, uh, he's been sorting out the website. So it was on the, the Fusemetric server and... Rob had his own kind of ideas and things and he had tools that he knows kind of, so we've decided that Rob would bring the the website back on his own server. So it's all going through Crystal Spotlight again. And he's been getting it all up to date and updating loads of things and moving things around because we weren't quite happy with it. But that thing I told you about, right? And I spoke to him as well as today, yesterday. And um, we talked about this Instagram thing. So. What we're looking at doing is setting up a, 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 a page on the website because the fish show, every single Fish and Friday show, which will be including number 46 tonight, they're all up on the website. Right? And what we want to do is on the, the kind of associated with that Fish and Friday section on the website is to basically have a gallery of everybody who's bought a Fish and Friday shirt basically wearing the shirt on their couch or at home or whatever. And he's worked out a way to do it. Right, or using Instagram. So basically, you've just got to put a hashtag up, and then that hashtag will deliver it into the, the into the gallery. Well, we probably need to find a way to rate them, <laughs> just to, just in case somebody gets naughty, and there's always somebody out there that's going to get a bit naughty on a Friday night after a few. <laughs> there's my ass. <laughs> so. That's what we want to do. So next week, we're looking at next Friday, trying to get this thing so it's an Instagram an Instagram gallery, so it's all the Fish and Friday t-shirt owners like doing your bit. So we can have all the people up and things, you know? So it could be really cool. Uh, da -da -da. <clears throat> Doug Bob Davidson. Sorry, Derek, after checks, it seems my sister probably typed your reference. <laughs> Gillian Gibbs, you were lucky. Try selling deck chairs in Bournemouth Beach in the rain, 74. Uh, 
Tom Hardy garden party was not about sprinklers. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Well, we should move into it now. Well, oh no, Martin Torbock. Velchmerz arrived on vinyl this week, but our puppy Frodo decided to see how the cover cover tasted. Oh bollocks! Uh, uh. Right, let's go on the first one. Uh. Um, I had to really look for Poets Moon and I always remember the song and uh, but I'd forgotten how it had been used and I, I remember that it was the, the, the B-side of Cradle right and could I find it you know as I said earlier on it's like I, I keep on giving away so many albums and I was getting I'm going I've, you've just chosen the song and I don't have it and I thought I'm going to have to download it off Spotify, you know what I mean? Or get it from somebody, get sent from somebody. Uh, but it was, um, but yeah, but I found it. And uh, I listened to it, and I listened to Jack and Jill as well. And I hadn't heard those for years, right? Jack and Jill, um, I'll come on to but But Poets Moon, it's like, it's such a rocking song. And, um... It's just got such a great vibe. And I remember what inspired it. Right? And it was, um, and it kind of propelled me into um, reading more of Hugh McDermott. Um, Hugh McDermott was a Scottish poet. Right? Um, I'll read you a wee bit of it, right? Christopher Murray Grieve, born on the 11th of August, 1892, and died on the 9th of September 1978. Best known by his pen name, Hugh McDermott, where he was a Scottish poet, a journalist, essayist and political figure, and he's considered one of the principal forces behind the Scottish Renaissance and has had a lasting impact on Scottish culture and politics. This guy was really interesting, and he came from Langham. Well, and uh, Langham's down on the borders. If you go past Hoyk, Langham's your kind of next biggest town before you go across into England, right? Travelled through it many a time because between Galashiels, where I was kind of kicking around as a teenager and stuff or, or in my 20s, when I did my first gigs were with Blue and Frank Usher and things, I was also at Newton Rigg um, College in Penrith. So that road, I travelled every weekend, you know? Used to come up to see my girlfriend in Galashiels from the college and stuff and things. So I knew it. And I always knew about Langham, but I didn't know anything about Hugh McDermott. And um, I didn't actually read anything of his until it must have been round about 1890 when the, when the song happened. But I'll, I'll read a wee bit of this. I don't want to bore you, right? Son of a postman, McDermott was born in the Scottish border town of Langham, Dumfriesshire. He was educated at Langham Academy, da-da-da. Began his writing career, journalist in Wales, contributed to the socialist newspaper, the Merthyr Pioneer, run by Labour Party founder Keir Hardy. Then he went into the Royal Army Medical Corps, served in the First World War. And he came back, living in Montrose, he became a, an editor, da-da-da. He started writing Annals of the Five Senses and followed by Sangshaw 1925. But a drunk man looks at the thistle in 1926 was the one that I read. And it's very difficult 
it was incredibly difficult and absolutely um it took a lot of concentration to get through it but it was just it's an outstanding poem because it's a, it's a very very long one i mean there's the book right and that's the notes there was one wee bit i found in it i thought was absolutely gorgeous right it's just a wee shot you man um Rooted on graceless peaks, where it's erect and jaggy leaves, austerly curled and dumb, hid the slow, scaly serpent in respect. The gothic thistle, while the insects hum, soon fair off, lifts aboon the rocket scorns. Its rigid virtue for the heavens to see, the touring boulders geared it, and the bee marks honey through the roses on its thorns. It's really lovely, and it's like, but it is fucking difficult and very difficult to read. Especially when you just pick it up like that. Yeah, you gotta work at that lot. But it's it's really interesting. And there was he was a he was a he supported the communists and he was one of the, the kind of founder kind of members, right, of the National Party of Scotland, which became the Scottish National Party. He stood as a candidate for the Scottish National Party in nineteen forty five, nineteen fifty, and for the Communist Party of Great Britain in nineteen sixty four. In nineteen forty nine McDermott's opinions led George Orwell to include, include his name in a list of those who should not be trusted to MI5. Right? It's like the McCarthyism way back then. George Orwell grassing up Hugh McDermott. You know, he's a Scottish nationalist. But the thing was, it's like, he became a... a, a oh, I've got to read you this as well, right? Jungle Man Looks at the Thistle is a long poem by Hugh McDermott, written in Scots and published in 1926. He wrote in English and Scots, and he actually made up his own kind of language. And he kind of grafted things from local dialects and stuff and, and, and pulled them all together in his own kind of, in his own language, which was, which makes it tough, right? So, it's a poem of extremes that ranges between comic and serious modes and examines a wide range of cultural, sexual, political, scientific, existential, metaphysical and cosmic themes, ultimately unified through one consistent central thread, the poet's effectively charged contemplation, looking askance at the condition of Scotland. Right? And that was what it's all about. A drunk man stares at the thistle. And it really inspired me. And he was in, But I never knew about this guy. I'd, I'd never, I'd never heard of him at school, you know, and it, it wasn't like I said until the late eighties, early nineties. And the one thing I found out about, and I've got to get this right, since I don't muck up, right? But um, oh yeah, that's it. It's in the wee book here. Thing was, what got me, and this is why Poets Moon came to be, right? That Neil Armstrong. Landed in the moon, 1972, 1969, Apollo 11, right? And he visited um, uh, Langham, 1972. The Armstrong clan, the Armstrongs, it's a big clan down in the borders. The, the borders have got loads of clans, the Armstrongs being one of them. And strangely enough, when Neil Armstrong came into Langham to be made a free man of the town, right? The first and only person that's ever been made a free man of the town. Uh, there was actually a law that dated back to about the 13th century which said any Armstrong that comes into Langham can be hanged. <laughs> so anyway, this astronaut comes in, right? And um, they even, they, gave, they, they created a lunar tartan for him. A lunar tartan. 
grey and stuff. It was grey and brown and <laughs> and dull colours with a red stripe on it to signify the rocket. Right? But what happened was that when when Armstrong came in, he was he, I mean he was a hero. I mean he was the first man to ever step on the moon. And um, you know, but the thing was that. Uh, Armstrong was recognised as, as an American, and quite rightly for, for, for his exploits and, and everything that he, that he did, he was recognised in Langham. But McDermott had, had, was, was a son of that town and had never been recognised. And he's seen as being one of the great inspirational poets in, in Scotland. And while Armstrong was lauded and, and made, you know, a, a, freeman of Lang, a freeman of Langham, given the freedom of Langham, right? McDermott had to wait until 1985 until they put a memorial up for him on a hill outside the town. And it's really beautiful. And it's like a big open book, right? And it's made of bronze and steel. And it's it's uh, all the images that are on it all come from his, his poems and his writings and things. But it was 1985 that he was finally recognised by the, the, the town. And... Uh, and Rightly so, and it's it's great that you know they've you know that he is acknowledged down there. But um, but what got me and what inspired the song was that somebody said at the time it's like oh Neil Armstrong right the Moon Man he said uh, the man that's been in the moon he says McDermott was there years before him, and I thought that was beautiful. You know Armstrong might have been on the moon, but McDermott was there years before him, and uh. And that's what the inspiration was, and and that was the take on it. And it was it was kind of my own angle on Scotland. You know, you sit there biding your time out of your head and into your mind, penning thoughts that are dreams and action. A glass railed, raised to an absent muse. A boy stands in his father's shoes, and a drunk man smiles at a thistle under a poet's moon. Under a poet's moon, there's a life sign burning. A poet's moon, like a vision shining, and the lovers lie in the long grass. Stolen flowers make their beds. Under a poet's moon, there are dreams in action, prayers met and questions answered. As the world burrows in the darkness, I'm still staring at the skies. Under a poet's moon, a night black as a hoodie's eye. The sparks fly from a tinker's fire as the stories burn among us. Under a poet's moon, a seed falls in a stony ground. Without hope and without a sound, from the weeds will grow the flowers under a poet's moon. Under a poet's moon, there's a salmon settling in a girdler's hand that is patient waiting, like a lover's touch to charm the life as fingers play the reeds. Under a poet's moon, there's a whistle blowing out in no man's land where a flare is falling in a deadly night the dreamers stand like flowers in a storm. Flowers in a storm, we are flowers in a storm under a poet's moon. Um, you sit there biding your time out of your head and into your mind, penning thoughts that are dreams in action. A cross made in a polling booth, another flies in a field of blue and a drunk man smiles at a thistle under a poet's moon. Under a poet's moon there are angels crying, dead men born and devils laughing and the dance goes on regardless till you're carried from the floor. Under a poet's moon there are dreams in action, prayers met and question answered as the world burrows in the darkness. I'm still staring at the skies. We are staring at the skies. We're under a poet's moon. And I loved that. And I loved writing that. And it was, I think it was, it was, uh, 
that was all written before the music and when it came to scanning all that in it was a challenge <laughs> it was a challenge and, uh, and it, it was one of the reasons why it's such a demanding thing because you really need a big air pipe up your arse to get the, get your lungs going all the time. Smoking or whatever is still the breathing. It's like, until and you're always snatching and it's very difficult to, to, to keep the breathing going. So the song was always testing. You know? And there are a couple of versions and as somebody pointed out, there's a great version on the Sushi album which, was, uh, which will end up on the, the internal XO remaster when we get it together at the end of the year. Right. No. No. But um, we should maybe take you through and play it. I should, I'll take you through and play this one. Um, I'm going to have, have a glass of wine for that. I'm re again, very, very sorry I'm late. Match your apologies. I should have had a letter from my mother. Well, let's go through. And let's play the song. So this is, now you've seen it all the right way around, right? There's a load of stuff there that you've never seen properly. There's my live pass. 300,000 copies of script for Jester's Tune in 1997. My Felicia, that's my daughter buying a piano in Luxembourg. And that's a story for later as well. Not so much my daughter in Luxembourg. And look at that, I've been cleaning up the control room. That's all ready to go through sorting out damaged vinyls and putting sleeves together. And there's something else. There's another question coming along tonight. John Martin. That's that's supporting John Martin. October 31st, 1981. Got a whole journey. All these books. Ian Banks. Trying to reconnect. Yes, sir. So, here we go. It's that time of the night. Rock on. Might have screwed up in the early part of the night, but we're getting us, we're back. Come on, come on. So wrap up a bit.
I'd really just, I've really forgotten just how good that song was. And, you know, in all honesty, you know, it should have been on the album. I mean, it is so good. And, um, and a lot of people missed it. A lot of people never heard that song. It was on the, the B-side of Cradle, which I think a lot of you remember. It was, uh, I think Tommy Vance played it on his show. And um, I think he, he played it twice, back to back. <laughs> yeah, it was wicked. And uh, Tommy was a brilliant fan, a great old friend. Miss him dearly. He was a, a great supporter of Marillion and, and very much so my solo career as well. But, um, yeah, it was just, another wee Tommy Vance thing is like, Tommy was saved by the British Forces broadcasting station, BFBS. And uh, it was interesting, it was through that, it was Tommy that actually suggested that I should do gigs for the army, which I eventually went out to do in, in, in Bosnia and Kosovo and Borneo and blah, blah, blah. You know? was, um, but yeah. Yeah, the B-side of Credo, the B-side of Credo, right? Which went, I think it was, I can't remember what Credo was, 23 or something, I can't remember. Mark Hughes reminds you of Deep Purple. It's great. I mean, the band were brilliant. I mean, I was, I was kind of like, you're in Stephen Robin territory on guitars there. Mickey was playing playing out his mind as well. And, and Chris Kimsey did a, a great job of that. He loved that song. You, and, and I seem to remember that I think Chris wanted it on the album, but it was a case of, you know, we had so much. <laughs> like, but like I said, you know, when I do the, the remaster in Channel like so, you know, that one, that one will be on it. But yeah, it is great. And, and like I said, the lyric, I, just, I forgot that I'd, I'd written that. When I, when I read it today, you know, I just, you know it, it reads as a poem rather than the lyric, although there's obviously the lilts and the wee internal beats and shit in it, you know. But yeah. Oh, I want to come back and, and talk about something very, very quickly, right? And um, there was a... I'm I'm sixty three old sixty three year old um, uh, this year, and uh, I was brought up in a different world from the one that that we're kind of living in now, and um, and like my father, you know, making adjustments to everything and the new rules and the new uh, regulations. I'm not talking about Brexit, by the way. I'm talking about you know social rules and things, and um, you know. It's hard to change this. It's hard to change around, and you've got to be very conscious. And I'm very conscious about it. And somebody pointed out that when I did Boston Tea Party, you know, that I was um, basically misappropriating culture. And um, I'm very sorry if somebody was upset by that. I completely agree with you. You know, I'm wearing a, a feather bonnet, which was kind of is seen. Is something that belongs to Native Americans and people have got to go through a lot of rights to earn the, to earn the right to wear it. And I was wearing it in an inappropriate manner. And I apologise if anybody was upset. In my defence, right, which is flimsy, but, um, because I understand what cultural appropriation is. Right? Very much so. In my defence, the reason it was worn, right, was I found it behind the couch when I decided to do Boston Tea Party and I remembered that I wore it in 1993 and I think I wore it on the Boss Pop stage. And the reason I wore it was because of the reference to the Boston Tea Party, which you may or may not know about, right? It wasn't done 
as a YMCA village people type thing. It was done for a reason because December the 16th, 1773, the Tea Act, right? And basically a bunch of American patriots invaded what were actually American ships, they weren't British ships, to take away tea, right? And they threw it overboard in the Boston Harbour. And the people that did this, many of them were dressed up as Native Americans. And I want to say, I didn't even know what a Native American was until probably Marlon Brando did that speech at the, the Oscars when he, when, he, when he turned down the, the Oscar. Well, he, well, not when he, but when he had somebody read out the thing. I, it, they weren't called Native Americans when I was a kid. It was Indians. We played cowboys and Indians. And yes, it's all very inappropriate now and children don't do that. But, you know, when I was a kid, you got headdresses, right? The headdress I did wear, by the way, is not real eagle, eagle feathers, just in case anybody wanted to pick up on that. But yeah, the reason I wore it was the Boston Tea Party. There was people dressed up as Indians and that was why I wore it for that song. It was the only reason. So as I said, I apologise for anybody that's upset with it and I completely agree with you, you know. There's been a lot of articles in the news, but it's, it's difficult these days. You know, you kind of... It's difficult, you know, as a front man. It's, it's, it's a lot of some of, the, some of the off the cuff stuff that goes on, you know. You've got to really think hard now, you know, when you're actually doing intros to songs and if somebody throws, some, somebody throws a quip at you and you want to answer, you've got to think, right? And because I think, I mean, I know there's a lot of comedians, you know, and I've, I've, I've read a lot of articles and I've heard a lot of articles in radio you know, interviews with comedians saying that, you know, it's how they've got to be incredibly careful. And again, because everybody's got bloody iPhones. It's not as if, you know, anybody can stand up and say something in, in, a, in a private party or whatever, you know, without thinking that, like, somebody's going to be up there filming you. And if you're filmed and then, you know, bam, you're outed. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard. But like I said, I mean, there was a really simple thing where a 63-year-old found a... Found a Native American feathered headdress and put it on and it called, caused a slight Ferrari and it's uh, nothing major but I wanted to address it, you know, just it's um, it's strange times when uh, you know, looking at Facebook, I mean all the issues I had with Facebook earlier on today and um you know, and then watching everything that was going on in Australia in the last couple of days where there was the huge shutdown of the newspapers. Um, I can see the point of the newspapers completely. And I had this discussion with somebody yesterday, well, during the interview um, and, and before the interview, where it was basically we've got so much, so used to getting everything for free that you forget there's an entire creative strata out there you know, journalists, actors, musicians, um, plus all the people that are associated with them, you know, be the editors and, and road crew and sound engineers and stage grips and, and cameramen and things like that. You know, there's a whole area of creatives that are being tested. It doesn't even come close to a word that you can use to define what, the creatives are undergoing at this moment in time through through everything, through COVID, through Brexit, through regulations, through the likes of Facebook and, and the streaming services like Spotify, you know, where, you know, they carve a lot of money, those big corporations carve a lot of money out of the adverts and basically um, 
it's very difficult for musicians to negotiate with huge corporations like YouTube and and Spotify, you know, to get a better slice of the money from the advertising fees they get from people who watch our stuff on YouTube or whatever or on Facebook, you know. And that's part of the whole argument behind the, the Australian thing. And I understand that. And Facebook's response was was uh, savage and it was horrific and it's a bloody big wake-up call, you know, when, you know, they can just shut down all those sites and that included government sites that were delivering information on COVID to, to Australia, right? And, uh, yeah, and um, it's scary how we, we've, we've, we've kind of walked into this, this zone where, you know, with Facebook and things, I mean, you know, we are on Facebook, you know, there's the irony. I mean, I don't use Facebook as much. I use it to transmit, I use it to post news and things. I would prefer to do it on the website and, and things, and that's why, you know, we're trying to revamp the website up as well. But I mean, you know, the, you know, we, we've become so used to it now. And, you know, when it gets taken away, it's like, it's like, whoa, 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 you know? But it's that whole thing about freedom of speech and it's uh, an access to information as well and the control of information and i think that's the creepy thing and i've said many a time i think i was thinking i'm living in the middle of a very bad 1970s science fiction movie and it seems you know something i really genuinely feel like that but this facebook australian thing and the way that a tap can be turned off and the other point is which is a relevant point is that there are negotiations, uh, there, there were negotiations that were going on between the EU and uh, YouTube in particular that was um, addressing exactly that issue about the fact that the creatives need to be um, paid or compensated, you know, for the adverts that are being used on, on their material that's basically going up for free. And, um, and uh, the EU's are uh, fine this. And, uh, but Great Britain's, the UK's uh, decided to walk away from it and they don't want to get involved with that now, which ties in with the streaming thing and ties in with the, the EU thing. And I'll bring this up now and just get it over and done with before we move on to another song. You know, I've been talking about this, this thing about, you know, the, the post-Brexit issues. And as I said, I accept the democratic vote, right? But we've got problems to deal with on so many levels and so many industries, right? I can really only discuss properly my own industry and show how it affects um, kind of the way I work and, and directly affects it. You know, as I said before, you know, when you get Elton John or whatever and people go, well, that's Elton John, he's a millionaire. It's like, this isn't really about millionaires. This is about what it does to a lot of the people way, way down the ladder. And I'm kind of lucky because I'm kind of not right down the bottom of the ladder, but... You know, I'm still a working musician that's working clubs and, and li living and sleeping on a bus in Europe for six weeks, eight weeks, you know, on a tour, right? So, here we are. Now, here's an example of kind of what it's done, right? So, I got the other day, I got my ticket sales count through from my agents in Hamburg, right? Which is a whoopee! <laughs> you know, yay! Ticket sales! I still don't know when I'm going to get a vaccination. I don't know where the rest of the populace is going to get a vaccination. Basically, 
There's a huge question mark over September. It's a massive, massive, massive question mark over September. And I would be amazed if it went ahead. And I would advise anybody not to buy tickets because if you do so, you will not be able to get your money back from Ticketmaster. The ticket fee you will lose, right? So please do not buy tickets until you know for absolutely certain that those gigs are going ahead. And I will tell you if the gigs are going ahead, but do not please buy tickets until we know for certain, right? So my ticket agent sent, well, my, my, my agency, my concert agency, touring agency, sends me through the ticket count, which I kind of I opened up. And, and I was thinking about this whole visa situation, right? And the way it's been is with the UK government at this moment in time is the Minister for Digital Streaming and Culture has basically said the UK is doing absolutely nothing and we've just got to basically deal with the 27 other European or the 27 EU states, right? It's up to us to deal with it, right? We've got to find out the information from them and it's up to them to give us the information. Okay, so... I looked at my list of tour dates and there right up in front is Luxembourg and Dudelanger. It's a lovely little place and I mentioned before it's run by uh, John Rech, who's a great friend of mine and I love him dearly. And I was going, so I thought I'll go through the figures on this and find out a little bit more. And the Dudelanger gig is a 500 capacity gig, right? Um, we get a guarantee of 6,000 euros for that gig, which basically covers the bus and all the bits and pieces and all the costs right and you know it's a small gig and you know anything i sell above the i guarantee above the guarantee right i get a percentage and on the last tour in 2018 i earned seven thousand euros so that was a six thousand guarantee and seven thousand euros over the the, the seven thousand euros you know after paying all the costs i've still got to pay my tax right i've still got to pay my agent commission right and so they're 7,000 euros. So I thought, bang, okay. Let's look and see what the situation is in Luxembourg now regarding visas. And I went on there, right? Are you sitting tight, young girls? So Luxembourg, you've got to apply to the embassy. Right? This is what I found out. This is where I was directed from a UK government site to, to the Luxembourg site. So I've got to... Uh, I'm now treated as a, a third a third world... A third world... A third uh, country national, right? So I'm non-EU. So I've got to apply for a visa, and when I apply for the visa, I've got to supply, send my passport to the, the, the Luxembourgian um, embassy, together with uh, my accounts to show that I can uh, basically look after myself while I'm living in the country, because the visa doesn't differentiate between three months or whether you're there just for a night. Then I've got to sell up my accounts, place uh, um, where I'm living, domicile proven, uh, birth certificate, and then I've also got to send in a note from the local police force saying I don't have a criminal record. And I've got to send that all to Luxembourg to get a visa stamped, and that costs 80 euros per person. There's 800 euros, bang, straight there in visas before we've even got into the other fees, right? And, um, you know, and as I said, we've got to send our passports off. So we've got to send our passports away to all the different embassies to have the visa put in and get them stamped. And when we go into Luxembourg, it says on the actual Luxembourg website regarding people that are coming in, I'm supposed to get a medical done within 24 hours entering the country after I get my passport stamped, right? So that I can prove that I don't have a contagious disease. That's Luxembourg. And um, I've not really gone into others yet, but that was kind of, that, that hit me this week. And it means that, you know, basically we can't play Luxembourg because 
we just have to, to blow that gig out because we're going to lose. I'm, I'm going to lose money playing that show, and that's uh, that's if we sell it out. So um, I mean, that's kind of like where we're at. So I just thought I'd like bring that one into you. It's my little little Brexit corner thing. Uh-huh. But yeah, let's move on. As I said, I really enjoyed up this. Oh. I actually got quite in it, the, doing the kind of research today. And it was a... This one the way, this one the Paper. Right. Here we go. So, doing the Hugh McDermott stuff, it was like, I learned a lot more about Ken kind of McDermott and a lot of stuff I haven't told you, because I was sitting there for an hour just learning it. Um, oh, a couple of things. Mia Hardy. Wednesday, I celebrated my 53rd birthday. The first ever concert I went to see was with a previous band in 86. And I blew you a kiss. I did manage to see you a couple of times at the Cambridge Calling Exchange before leaving for foreign shows. Blah, blah, blah. Yee. Oh, sick of five one. Russell Hall. Did you ever meet the great late... Did you ever meet the late, great John Martin in your illustrious career? Yes, I did. You saw the poster earlier on. And that was the first time I met John. It was really bizarre. Because he knew... Um, he knew I was Scottish, right? But when I met him, he started to talk to this London accent. Like, How are you doing, mate? All right, yeah, it's good. Yeah. And then as soon as he heard it, he was like, all right, man, that's great. Completely switch of character. And um, But I remember doing that gig with Marillion because we stood on the stage at Friars and we just wanted to do a sound check and we had to wait on John Martin's road crew. And we all stood in the stage, right, and watched them eat from these two trestle tables. So they were all getting served their, their, their meal and uh, while we were standing on the stage waiting to do the sound check. I always remember that. And it's, um, and it's something I always remembered, like, where bands that support us, like, I always try and make sure that they get a sound check and, you know, it's part of the upbringing. But, yeah, but John and I met, and, and Frank Usher... You might not know this, but Frank Usher was actually John Martin's uh, favourite guitarist. He loved Frank's playing and loved Frank's guitars. And it was Frank that introduced me to John later on because John was staying down the borders and Frank took me down to see uh, John one night and we met up. But he was a garrulous man. I mean, scary. And of course, Foss Patterson was uh, John Martin's uh, keyboard player for years, right? And Foss has got some amazing stories. But yeah, but yeah, John, I met. And he came up here one day. He was trying to get his son a job at the studio. And he came up here and we were on the Bacardi at half past 10 in the morning. He was not a good influence by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Tommy Frank, what's your thoughts about live bootlegs? Um, Bootlegs, I mean, it becomes kind of ancient history now. I mean, the thing is, like, a lot of the YouTube stuff, you know, the, the bootlegs you hear where they're recording the audience, oh, give me a break, you know? I mean, you know, having somebody gabbing off in, on, in, in the right-hand speaker, you know, about, about whether they want, you know, would you want another wine, love? Right? No, I, I, I don't... Bootlegs from the desk, you know, I've got bootlegs. I mean, you know, I'm not going to turn around to be hypocritical. You know, yes, I've got bootlegs from other, some other bands. Most of them are shite, Right? I mean, I've got a couple of Led Zeppelin ones that I bought way back in the 80s just because it was like a bootleg and it was cool. And I think I've mentioned it on a previous Fishing Friday. The first bootleg I ever bought was uh, the Comet in... So a Floyd fan's going to tell me, but it was uh, the Comet 
Zatutik or whatever, and I bought it in 1978, which reminds me, I found this. This is a pewter mug, and you can see on that, Fish Radden, 1978. And that was the first ever time, right, that Fish was actually, it was, it was my name. That was the first thing I've ever, I ever had, that I had, when somebody said, what's your name, Fish? And it was when I visited Radden on a, on the thing with Stuart McDonald that I told you about, um, on the, when I was telling you all about the Dear Friend track a couple of weeks back. Stuart McDonald and, and I were across in, in Radden staying with, with these people, you know, really nice wee family. And it was, um, and they gave us these pewter mugs as they do in Germany. There you are, Fish Radden, 1978. Got to turn it the right way. But yeah, where was I? Okay, completely off piece there. Um, yeah, live bootlegs. And when it was when I was out there, and I was, we went to, I think it was uh, Minden. It might have been Minden. And I was asking about bootlegs because I like bootlegs. Like when I was when I when I was when I was only twenty year old then, right? And bootlegs were like you know wow, it was just something mystical. It was like it was like buying dope, you know. They were illegal, you know. And it's yeah, the illegal records of Pink Floyd, and uh, the comic Hootick, That's what it was. And um, and I was directed down this main street, and eventually went up the stairwell into this little pokey kind of uh, record shop at the, the top of these two flights of stairs in this old building. And they had the racks of vinyl and stuff. And, there was, and they had like Jimi Hendrix bootlegs and I wanted a Floyd one. And I got this good and I, I spent, I think it was about 15 Deutschmarks or something. It, was, it wasn't cheap, right? And it was big heavy duty vinyl. I've still got it through there. I, thought, I might even dig it out when I go through. But um. And it was like, and it was given to me in a brown paper bag, and I'm going round, I'm walking up the street, and I'm in the back of my head, I'm going like, if if I get stopped, you know, they go, what's that? And it's not a real album, it's a bootleg. You're nicked, you know. And that was my impression of bootlegs. You know, bootlegs were completely illegal, and you shouldn't have them. And um, so there was always a certain kind of, you know, mysticism about them all. And you know, and I think you know, I mean, I was very aware in in in, in the 80s that Marillion were being bootlegged to hell. But a lot of them, you know, I mean, I've got, I've got loads and loads of tapes of stuff from, from back those days, but the quality is generally shite, right? And um, there's very few desk tapes, and, like, you know, because, I mean, Privet and all the sound engineers we've had, you know, they tend to, to guard them because they know, if they ever go out, they know where they came from, right? But it was, uh... Oh. Oh, we're in the buffet. Yeah, we have jumped into the EU Brexit thing there. Yeah, it's interesting how that's all working. It's um, as I said, you know, I'm in a position now where you know, like a lot of other businesses, you know, I'm I'm now in discussion with people in the EU to set up mail order there because the people in the EU are paying uh, basically fees for um, paperwork. And it's about seven pound an album, as far as I'm making out. Uh, some are getting lucky and they're, they're getting it through without, without the, the without the payments. But I can't have I can't have that. It's going to kill me. It's like you know, 
So I'm in discussion with people to, to move material out there, to set up a, a kind of like a, a mirror and mail order operation out there that will deal solely with the EU and we'll do, deal with the UK and the rest of the world from here. But it's the, the landing, the, the landing fees in, in Europe are, are going to get crippling and we need to find a way out of it. And this is a problem. A lot of businesses are, a lot of businesses are moving out across there. Across there. And um, I was talking to my band just the other week who did exactly that. And um, shifted, you know, across to uh, in Holland because it was just avoided all the issues, you know. And it's, it's as I said, you know, we just have to deal with it. You know, they're going to change. There's going to be another vote or, or whatever. You know, we just have to deal with it. But it's my point is, it's a problem dealing with it. So that's why we have to move stuff out. As I said, the black buffs that are coming in the next three weeks. Um, they're going to cost 12.5% more uh, to buy them in Germany because of the way that, that the trade dealers, there's a 12.5% import tax in, in Germany for stuff coming out of China. And even though we buy the buffs out, the nice guys at Rasmataz and Blackburn, you know, it's they come from China and that's what's marked down in the slip. Bang. That's the way it works now. Yeah, Sean Carroll, thanks to the Grateful Dead for letting fans tape shows. Yeah, I mean, I think, but the Grateful Dead were a completely different beast, you know? I mean, it was like, they were, they were, you know, I think the Dead, I was never a huge fan of Grateful Dead. I mean, I admire the musicianship and, and Jerry Garcia was a great guitarist, but it was, um, I was never a Grateful Dead fan. And uh, I understand somebody mentioned Fish, P-H-I-S-H. Yeah, <laughs> great guys. <laughs> oh. It's always really funny. People say, you were mentioned on The Simpsons the other night. I'm going, it wasn't me. It was the PH guys. The PH guys. Huh? Right. Jack and Jill. The second choice. I don't know. Finding the bit. Well. Where'd it go? There it is. Jack and Jill. Nursery rhymes, you know, hey, lavender, dilly, dilly, you know. Yeah, so it was um, Jack and Jill came up. And the reason I was attracted to the Jack and Jill thing was because of the hill. And Jack and Jill was uh, the B-side of, was it, was it Stay of Mind? I can't even remember. Correct me if I'm wrong. But it was... Um, yeah, the idea for Jack and Jill was, it was the hill. It was, you know, I wanted... To, it's a nursery rhyme, it's a hill, made perfect sense, past history, let's go for it, right? And um, and we had to write it really quickly. Uh, in fact, it might even be in Big Wedge, was it? Tell me, tell me my, tell me my history. <laughs> I can't remember. You know what, I'd be rubbish. You know when you get people on like, you know, um, you know masterminds, you know, what's your chosen subject? Uh, I'll do uh, fish, fish albums. I'd be getting it wrong all the time. I can't remember what was on what. Uh, but anyway, Jack and Joe. And Mickey came up with it. It was, it, was, it was Mickey and Robert Frank and I. And it was a drum machine. And you can hear it on the... You can hear it on it. I heard that song for the first time in probably 15 years tonight. Right? And I've got to admit, it's not one of my favourites. and But it's an interesting composition. Right? Because, as always with B-sides, it was the same, with Marillion, we were the same. When it came to writing B-sides, we could write some stunning B-sides because everybody went, 
the album's done, let's just play and have a bit of fun. And that was where Cinderella Search and Tucks On and everything came from. And uh, and it was kind of the same as us. But, um, but we were under pressure. I mean, we'd done Vigil and it was like, it was one of those things. We need a, a B-side. It's got to be a new song, right, in order to sell the single so that people will buy the single to hear the new song that's not on the album, right? And uh, we, had to, we had to get it sorted. And um, we went down to, it was a guy called John Turner, and he had a studio uh, that was down, it was a proper recording studio. This is before this studio was built. So this was when this particular room was just a rehearsal room and a, and a demo room. So we went to John Turner's uh, studio, which is down now on the side of the bypass, just where you turn off to go to Ikea. Bob, disco Bob coming up, you know it is. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so we, we did it in John Turner's place in a day. And we, we we basically wrote it and 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 went for it and and I was jamming the the vocals over it. That was one of those instances where Mickey had got the, put the music down and he put all these key changes in and things. It was really you know his kind of piece. And I went in and sang over it, you know. And I had to make up the words. And I remember kind of making up the words of the day, although I had a semblance of an idea. Right? There was nothing structured that went across what what uh, what Mickey put together. So it was um. So the whole thing was jammed, and it was uh, and I was making up the lyrics on the spot, and um, and I think musically it's 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 interesting, but as a song, it kind of it's it's like lots of bits stuck together, which is what I tried to get away from, you know, and um, but researching the Jack and Jill thing, as I said, right, the original words to Jack and Jill, I could never. I always went, you know, what is Jack and Jill really about? You know, Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water, Jack fell down and, and broke his crown and Jill came tumbling after. And that was kind of, yeah, and, right? This is the nursery rhyme. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown and Jill came tumbling after. Up got Jack and home did trot as fast as he could caper. He went to bed and bound his head with vinegar and brown paper. When Jill came in, how she did grin to see Jack's paper plaster. Mother vexed did whip her next for causing Jack's disaster. Right? And I never really knew what that was about. And seemingly, right, once I did a little bit of googling and all that, right, right, seemingly the story involves a young couple, Jill, who's a local spinster, and Jack, her mysterious lover, in this version of events, Jill becomes pregnant by Jack and the couple is overjoyed. But when Jack goes up the hill to collect some water, he's tragically killed by a dislodged boulder. See the things you learn. And it's real, right? And seemingly there's been a lot of claims for it. They've, they've said it might have been a Nordic, stolen from a Nordic fairy story and things, right? But seemingly, right? This is it. This is your, this is what you learn, right? It's a place called Kilmersdon, Kilmersdon. In a small town in Somerset called Kilmersdon, there is an actual hill now called Jack and Jill Hill that locals believe inspired the nursery rhyme. The story involves a young couple, Jill, a local spinster, and Jack, her mysterious lover. In this version of events, Jill becomes pregnant by Jack and the couple is overjoyed, but when Jack goes, da-da-da-da, right? And it says, um, Jill then... 
Jag was, oh, sorry, I'll start that again, right? In this version of events, Jill becomes pregnant by Jack and the couple is overjoyed. But when Jack goes up the hill to collect some water, he's tragically killed by a dislodged boulder. Jill then dies of a broken heart shortly after and the small town of Kilmersdon band together to raise Jack and Jill's son together. Today, there are six stone markers that line the hill, each with one verse from the poem. And at the top of the hill, there is a well and a plaque dedicated to Jack and Jill, as well as two, two tombstones. Look at that, eh? I can hear the wows going, whoa, I never knew that. That's brilliant, that is. That's great. Jack and Jill. But yet again, these nursery rhymes are just kind of a bit dark. But, but Jack and Jill was when I read the lyrics. And that's what I took. I mean, basically, it was about... I just moved up to my up to, to Scotland with my then wife, right? Um, it was touch and go. I mean, you know, when, when I left Marillion, right? I was... I had no money, right? And it was... Uh, I had royalty checks that were going to come in at some point, but I had no money, right? And all wages were stopped. There was nothing, right? No gigs, nothing, right? And uh, my theatrical agent, Sharon Hamper, I don't even know if she's still alive these days, but Sharon Hamper was my uh, theatrical agent, Hamper Neefsey, right? And I got a gig, right, singing an M&M advert, right, M&M advert, in a recording studio in Seoul. And I went down and I'm, I'm like, you know, that's Fish for Marillion. Because I was still really Fish for Marillion back then. You know, the years were still, it was still fresh, right? So I was asked Fish for Marillion and I'm singing, yeah, M&M's, Mickey Birdos, M&M's, right? And I got 60 quid for it. I think it was 60, 70 quid, right? And that was it. And I, and I was overjoyed. <laughs> I'd, been, I'd been playing arenas like about four months before and I was now doing M&M adverts in Soho for my, my, my theatrical agent. And it was kind of, it was, it was, when we moved up here, I mean, you know, it was, uh, it was an old farmhouse, you know. <laughs> Look up old farmhouse and, and kind of like pin interest or whatever, right? And then find a really derelict one. That was kind of where we were. It wasn't quite derelict. You could live in it, right? But we had a lot to be done there, right? And of course, you know, my then wife was from Berlin and then coming up here, it was kind of, I, mean, I remember her crying in the drive, going like, Ugh. It was, uh, yeah, did bode well. But, but it was a test. and But we, we grew to love the place. And, um, and Jack and Joe was kind of about that, you know. Me and my old lady got a dream coming true because me and my lady got to some room with a view. We kept our options open. It was the only way we could deal. Well, living life on our own terms, we took the house on the hill. And that was it, the house on the hill. And it was all about everything falling apart. And that, that's what the, the crux of the song was. It was falling apart. But, but being yourself and being true to yourself, which was... Uh, um, was it? Because I built some But if it all comes tumbling down, a dream gets broken, but your soul stay around. Can you hold your heads high and look back with no shame with a conscience as clear as your ideals and aims? Because where will you go at the end of the day when your world comes tumbling down? Can you climb to your feet with wipe the tears from your eyes? Can you climb your way back up the hill? And that was kind of like, it was just a dash off and it was all, it was jammed. It was like, you know, okay, Play record and then fish sings over the top and goes blah 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 blah, blah. and then I go back and go yeah well that one that line works that line works if I move that line there right all on paper right this was pre Microsoft Word 
and that was kind of where the song came from and it was interesting you can see the relativity to the actual song view from a hill right and um uh and the who influences you know when i listened to it today like i said for the first time in a long time and i heard the the who influences all over it it was like you know and the the, the dotry approach you know i mean there's some great keyboard bits i mean mickey does some fantastic keyboard stuff on it and 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 frankie as well and this decent groove but it's just let down it's just because of that the damn drum machine right there was a i think if, if we'd had a leo a real drummer on it i think it could have been a lot better but let me just go back to this and see what it is uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eat peach with jacket. Uh, got I missed it. It's gone. Uh. Yeah, Jackie Joe went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jill forgot to take the pill, and now they have a daughter. Yeah, I mean it's, it's interesting, but it's. Uh, and I tell you another really weird thing I found. I love all this stuff, like with words, right? Chum, right? Now, chum. I'm not talking about the stuff you put in the water to attract sharks, right, or fish, right? I was, I was, I said to, uh, I said to Simona the other day, I said, uh, I said, you're going to chum me, well, I was going down for pizzas down at Long Nidri, uh, uh, and I says, you want to chum me? And she went, what? <laughs> I said, you want to chum me down, right? You got, you, come on, chum me down. And she went, what's chum, right? So I had to explain what chumming was, you know, I asked me my chum, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go chumming them. C H U M M I N G, chumming, chumming, right? not chumming, chumming, right? And you go chumming somebody, which means you basically go along with them to whatever the, de the destination is or where they're going to do something, right? And I went, where does chum come from, right? Where did that word come from, chum, right? And I did a wee bit of research, <laughs> as you do, you know, in between saying in script albums, you know, you, you want to do a wee bit of research, right? And uh, where have I written it? Oh, no. See, this is the problem. This is what I do. I take notes. Ah, there it is. I write quickly. And I think that when I write quickly in really small letters, that like, and I read it, it goes, oh, yeah, I can make it out. And then three days later, I read it and I go, what is that? Some spider on acid covered in ink. The first ever um, time that it was found that, that Chum was written down, was 1684. 1684 was the first time that there is, it was recognised that the word chum, as in friend, right? And do you know where it came from, right? It's fascinating, right? What they reckon it comes from is chambre, room. And it's like your chum is your roommate, so it was your chambermate. Not chambermaid, but chambermate. Your, your mate in the chamber, and it became your chum. And that's where it came from, the French, chambre room see the stuff you learn on this program yeah it's incredible right. right so there's jack and jill so let's go through and play it through in the other room because i'm bored here now uh right here we go so we're moving through Oh, yeah, Steve Jones, all the best to the Hibs football with a heart problem. Unreal. We Scott Allen, great player. And uh, discovered he had heart issues and he had to deal with a load of stuff, which is like 
kind of horrific. But uh, he's back in training. Serious bogey team for us. And uh, which will lead us on a question. I'll go into the questions after. But I'll try and activate the other PC, my laptop, and deal with the questions using that technology. So, for now, let's deal with a bucket on a hill and Jack and Jill. So, here we go. And Aha! You've not deserted me. We trust the old remote. No, not that one. Oh, boy, that's what I'm almost on. Ah. Oh, no. Yeah, it's on this. Oh, no. No, it's this one. <laughs> Then I've got to find... I can't program the tracks in this, so I've got to nudge through them all.
didn't know how to end it. <laughs> we didn't know how to end it. Fade it. Just fade it. <laughs> we, that was it. We had to, we just, we just faded the damn thing. It was, uh, I don't know, drop it down. Let's go to the next place. So, here we are. Back in, back in the room. Um, oh, damn. Honey. Honey, I left I left my glass through there. Where? Through there, through in the oh, oh, there, right? Um, you have to do what's for tea tonight? What is for dinner tonight? Completely confused. I can't see what's here. Oh, colour people. Um, Joe Vincent. I've got to say hi, Joe, and happy retirement. Um, she's retiring after 27 years, and she said she's going to be raising a few lemonades tonight. And Joe, we had a wonderful time. Like we did the, the, the West Highland way together, and Joe was an absolute trooper. I didn't even know what shin splints, shin splints were until I met Joe. Right, and she'd done a lot of training and stuff before she came on a walk. But the shin splints, and she used to, she used to sit off really early in the morning because it was, she knew it was going to take a lot longer and she was an absolute hero. And she just trudged one step after another and every, every night we'd pass her on the way and every night she'd arrive there and, you know, she was amazing. So, Joe, happy retirement. You deserve everything, darling. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this was quite cool. Um, we got a letter uh, from Portland in Dorset, right? I thought you might enjoy a little taste or two of my windswept part of the world, the beehives at the end of the swamp anyway. The methaglin, basically mead with orange and spices, is a recipe we, myself and Tigger, my hairy appendage, have developed over a few years using the honey made by our bees here in Portland. Most commercial mead is made using a fortified wine base, but homemade to a soft taste very different as its base is just the traditional honey, water and yeast. The honey is like the little spit of limestone we live on. It's distinctive and strong. Yes. 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 It was great. We, um, wife and I, we were, we're having one of those nights where it's like, oh, let's, let's sure drop it. We're a couple of days off, you know. And then the bottle of mead arrived. And it was, uh, ooh, <laughs> oh, mead. <laughs> we thought we'd try it with Liam. Because he's vegan, I thought it was honey. So I go on it. Go and go near it. Simone and I had it. It was absolutely stunning. It was great. We heated it up in a in a we heated it up in a, a, a vase full of hot water, and it was and it was just perfect. It was. And it had a kick. It really had a kick. He said, um, uh, "The honey's like the little bit called da 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 da." Had a bit of a crap harvest here last year due to heavy rainfall in August, but the girls found plenty of ivy to forage, which adds to the distinctive flavour of the small amount of sticky goodness I took. A lot of people don't realise, right? The ivy, this is going into my funny farm kitchen garden head, right? A lot of people don't realise that ivy flowers, it's like one of the first flowers to come out, and it's what the, the bees love it. And uh, so, like, don't start cutting your ivy when, the, when that flowering starts, don't cut it, let it go, because you're going to be keeping the bees alive, and they need all the help they can get at this moment, now that like, the UK's decided that neonicotinoids are a good idea, right? Anyway, I'll move on from that. <laughs> well, this, uh, this, the small bag contains 
my newest hive product, fire lighters. Right? Wax from the old comb I stripped out of the frames, coarse wood shavings from chainsaw corner and cotton string. They take a while to get going, but they certainly do their job and aren't as stinky as the zip ones. We only need one to wake up the big hot orange monster in our lounge. They're brilliant. The fire lighters, can you see them? It looks like something that's come out of Shrek's ear. Right. Right. It's brilliant. And you peel the wee things up and they do work. Right. Lift them up. Lift the wee bits of string up and lay them. They're absolutely stunning. And I tried them. You've got to be, you got to be careful, all right? If, if you've got a pack, you have to place the wood around them. I'm a bit of a, a fire chief, right? But they're absolutely stunning. The mead was great. And uh, it's just a lot of bees. And it's really interesting because Simone and I would love, when you know, whenever this touring lark stops and we get totally into the garden lark, then bees is definitely, you know, very high on the agenda. Like I said, I did a course years ago and I've completely forgotten about it, but I need to do a refresher. But I just wanted to say is thank you to Hedgehog, aka Kirsty Glover. Thank you very much. She sent these up a couple of weeks back and I meant to, to go on about it last week and I forgot, but it was really thoughtful to you and the, the mead was stunning. You liked the mead, didn't you, darling? Yes. Yes. Uh, it's cool and uh, Garden Cottage uh, uh, Cantley Norwich uh, Kel and Fee thank you very much yes you sent me up Karlsruhe and a Hibs Paratai thing brilliant absolutely we need them seriously it's like number of keys we've got they've got no fobs or anything on them and we keep on losing the damn things but thank you Right, but uh, quick to want to say thank you. Da, da, da. My wife, the famous Fee Myhill, and I are really enjoying being virtually invited into your house. Um, you like the narrative about the VC invasion, the, the <laughs> Vermin Kang. Yeah, I had to put, had to put poison out in the greenhouse last week because we had a load of mouse holes, and I've got to get rid of them before I start the chilies off because I've done that before. And you leave the slightest gap on the propagator. And they'll get in there and you can come back in after spending three weeks watching these things germinate. And then one night they just get sawn to the ground. Not even eaten, just sawn to the ground. Right. So I had to put down some poison for the mice. And, uh, but I did, um, quite a few weeks ago, I saw a rat limping. It was like VC going out there through the wire. And it had obviously been whacked. So I was glad of it. I know you don't like this stuff, but it's like, we live in the country, we've got to deal with this shit. And the thing was, I've got the sound thing, I, I put a sound thing on the wall, and Simona said, switch it off, because she said, I think you might be giving me headaches. And I'm going, well, okay, switched it off. Two and a half weeks later, scratching in the wall, mouse in the wall again, back on again, disappeared. And uh, it's just a little sonic thing that keeps the, the, the VC away, vermin Kong. Uh, uh I introduced my wife to your live performances. We've seen the circus many times. I've been fortunate enough to meet you. Da, da, da. We never can ever see you when you're in area East Anglia. I'd be sad when the circus is no longer touring. Yeah, it'll be great when the circus does get touring again, though. But Kel and Fee Myhill, thank you very much for the wee folks. And it's great and it's perfect because one of the questions, I can't remember if I found, found it, but... um. Da, 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 da. Somebody asked about 
Uh, oh, yeah, it's one, of the, it's one of the new ones. It's, it's a Tosh one. I have so many questions. So, so many. Can't find it. Bollocks. But anyway, somebody said, you know, what's this? Blue and White is KSA, Carlsruhe Sporting Club. And they're doing great. They're sitting... Darren, do you know this? KSA are fifth in the league at the moment and they're only six points behind off top spot. Yeah, and they're playing an umpty team at the weekend. Right. And the green and white for a Bernian. Currently sitting third in the Premier League. Right. And uh, doing quite nicely. And like I said, it was great that, that Scott Allen kind of looks like he's, he's getting back to some semblance of fitness because he must have had a real shocker. I mean, to be told as a young football player that, you know, you've got heart issues. And uh, so, and, you know, he's dealing with it. I mean, mentally, it must have been tough. And uh, he's a strong wee guy. But Ebbs are doing well, but it's the same as, you know, Scottish clubs, you know, like ours, you know, we're working underneath, you know, Celtic and Rangers all the time. Rangers got a great result last night, well done. I mean, against Antwerp, I mean, you know, it's a Scottish team getting further in that, well, not confirmed to be further, but getting a 3-2, was it a 3-2 or 4-3 win in, in Antwerp last night and then, you know, got them at home. Yeah, it's, it's good for the country. And, uh... But the problem is, it's like, you know, you look at the players, you look at the squad, you look at the money, you look at, you know, the money that Celtic make and stuff. And, you know, we're always going to be prone to losing players. I mean, to the English Championship, you know, the wages are bigger and stuff. And that's, that's what really gets me. And I think anybody I know is going on about football again. Oh, no, not soccer. But, um, but yeah, but when you support a team and you love that team and you see these players come up and then you get to that point where you think the team's just going to go on and then you suddenly lose two or three and that I find, I always find that devastating. But I mean, this year, the season tickets, I mean, my wife and I, Simone and I, have both had season tickets for Easter Road and I've watched more games, as I've told you before, more games on the TV this season than I've ever watched. You know, and okay, I don't have the experience. I miss the guys, I miss the stadium, I miss the stand. I miss the crack, you know. But, um, you know, but I will be buying a season ticket when they come up, despite not having seen a game this year, because it's my club. And, um, and I've never been a glory hunter. No, if there's a hip supporter, you could never be a glory hunter. Uh, Oh, Caramix Ferry, the rich boys in the Leith. The rich boys in the Leith. No, you've got a great man. Goodwin's brilliant. He's really turning your team around, right? And, uh, yeah, Millwall, where was it? Where were you? Yeah, Richard Llewellyn, yeah, they were after Porteous. I mean, this is it. You know, Porteous, who's from Dalkeith. I, I think I know his mum. <laughs> it's, I'm that old now. We go, I can't your father. <laughs> but, yeah, um, Porteous comes from Dalkeith. And Millwall were after him. And he's a great player. He's, he's, I think he's Scotland under, he's under 21s now. And um, he's brilliant. He's, a, he's fantastic. And it's a sad fact that we're probably going to lose them. And it's, it's, it, it does fill you with dismay. And you look at all the players that have come through the club, you know. But it's the same for Scotland in general. I mean, uh, it's like two different leagues, you know. You know. Dudno FC. What was it? There was the, the wealth. Was it Wrexham? Were taken over by the... Um, uh, 
Oh, Ian Allen touched down on Mars. It's all about the Rangers. Go away, Ian. Ian was somebody else that came on that West Island way. Birdman. So, we're coming up to 5 to 8. Oh, I've got books, and I don't know who they came from, but uh, Darkness Visible. Um, William Styron, or Styron, Darkness Visible, which is, uh, it looks an amazing book. And it's about a writer coping with depression. So, um, that's something. And somebody else, and the same person sent me, uh, Joe Boyd, Biden, Promise Me Dad, A Year of Hope, Hardship and Promise. Thank you. I don't know who sent them, but thank you for that. And uh, there was, was there anything else in these ones? Oh, touch, I lost Touch's one. Right, darling, yeah. what's, uh, what's for dinner tonight? Please welcome, on the couch, Sabrina. Uh, hello. Chili <laughs> con carne. Good. What's, yeah, we, it's not easy. We need to choose something that's... That we can eat a bit later, so that it's not too heavy. And chili con carne, we thought, is a good choice. Yeah, chili con carne. And I've got to thank there's somebody I've got to find out because you set me up, and I've I've got it somewhere. You set me up these chili seeds. Brilliant. Some California reapers and stuff like that. Thank you. Seeds are always, you know, you know. I think I said last week the daily has arrived. You, you're, yeah. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Delius, yeah. yeah, right, Delius. And um, the only thing is, we have to decide where we plant them. We have to decide. Yeah, yeah. my wife me. decides where they're going. Yeah, and he asked me, "Where do you want them?" I want them there. But don't you want them there? Where do you want them? I want them there. Maybe you want them there. No, I want them there. I'm only trying to save onion beds, <laughs> right? I'm kind of like you know, I'm trying to deal with vegetables here. We can't eat dahlias. They look great in vases, but you can't eat them, right? But um, but yeah, so we've got all that going on down. So, uh, so what do you want to end with tonight? Hmm? What do you want to end with tonight? Will we end with disco bog or? Uh, yeah, let's end with disco bog. Right. Do that? Talk to him for a minute. Talk to him for a minute. I've no, got. I don't know what no, to no, say. just you know what to say. No, I don't know what to say. Tell I'm... them about something. Something. I'm a bit tired. <laughs> The uh, meat. I was talking about the honey stuff with the meat. Oh, it was yeah, was very very good. Very usually I don't like special things. I like just beer or wine or whatever. But this was really really good. Very just different. Yeah, and I thought we should we have to heat it up, heating it up. But obviously we only. We were only supposed to warm it up, so I thought this can't taste very good, not cold, not hot, but it was brilliant. Thank you very much. And now I remember um, we, we got great presents from somebody. I don't remember the woman's name and she got it to, for, uh, for me. She bought it and wrote me a letter, but because of that, her husband sent me an email, I only remember his name, Robbie Clark. Was it Suzanne Clark or? So mm. thank you very very much. Hmm? Mm. Shall we go to the disco bog? You go. No, come on, let's go to no, disco no, bog. No, no. no, I hate disco. disco. No. Uh. no, come on, no, come on. No, no it's good, it's no, good. It's disco. not disco. Come on, come on, come on. Come on. Let's go to the disco bog.
right? And we're going to say goodbye from the disco bog tonight. So, like, we can have a bit of laugh. So, we're talking about cultural appropriation and stuff, and it's like, um, I wish it had been... If it had only been invented as a concept so many years ago, we would have avoided this. Bye bye babies. And that's it from another Fish and Friday. We'll see you tonight in a traditional way. So it's good night from the Disco Bog and welcome back to the studio and we'll see you all next week. Until then, take care, stay safe, watch after yourself. Bye bye baby, baby, bye bye. <laughs>